Welcome to the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast, a southern harmony of bold, liberating rock, soaked through with blues, soul, and gospel. And now, your hosts for the show, Brian Jones and Jeremy Hunsaker. All right, welcome back to the ninth episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast. As always, we appreciate everyone for all the for all the downloads and everybody participating on the Facebook page. As always, that means the world to us. Uh, my brother and my co-host Jeremy still burning the candle at both ends, still mixing the driving wheel record, and he's a real busy guy. He will return very soon, very very soon. So, I actually have a guest co-host sitting in. He is manager of Magnolia Bayou, and his name is Kevin Palmero. How are you doing today, Kevin? Fine, Brian. Thanks for having me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and what, what, what you do for the band? Uh, essentially, right now, I kind of wear a couple of hats, management, booking, um, uh, you know, just try, just try to keep things in order, uh, you know, the, the, the behind-the-scenes thing so the guys don't have to worry about it. Uh, you know, contracts, emails, correspondence with the with the venues, promoters, uh, et cetera, publicists. Um, just try to take that kind of load off of those guys so they can uh, they can just basically focus on what they're what they're here to do. Right on. So that are, that pretty much uh, tells everybody who our guests are. The guys in Magnolia Bayou. They got a new record coming out very soon called uh, Strange Place. We're going to bring them in, in a bit, but. Uh, Kevin and I are just going to like uh, chat here for a little while. And, you know, you mentioned, I uh, was talking to you last night and you mentioned yeah, you had a little vinyl listening session. What, uh, what are you listening to? What, you know, what, what do you want to get? What, what's, what's big for you on vinyl for the vinyl ventures? Well, I'm a big, I'm a big stones guy. So uh, the stones usually make it in somehow into, into my listening sessions. Um, been listening to a lot of uh, you know stuff like Allison Chains. Uh, we, we've got some stuff there, some some old ACDC, uh, just some cool stuff that uh, kind of revisiting on vinyl and uh, getting that listening experience. And uh, you know, a lot of classic stuff. Listen to a lot of blues, um, Muddy Waters especially. That's that's my uh, that's my go-to blues guy. Uh, and, and I've been I've been spending a lot of stuff like that lately. Uh, some old, some old eighties heavier stuff, you know, some some old Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, kind of reliving my youth. Right on, yeah. I got Exile on Main Street for the Stones. I've oh, only got man. three things so far. Like I'm just, I think for vinyl, I'm just doing the what I consider to be epic masterpieces. So I've got uh, Exile on Main Street. I got Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Damn the Torpedo, and I've got uh, Aerosmith Rocks. Those are the three I got so awesome. far. So I've got I. I, I I got to go with you on Exile, man. That's like, uh, to me, that's like the holy grail of, of, of rock and roll albums. It's it's my personal favorite album. If I if I could keep one album, that would be the one that I would keep. Yeah, that's one of the Desert Island uh, albums. How about uh, you get you got you get into bootlegs, audience recordings? What do you got? I do. Uh, uh, Bootleg recently, Corner. Yeah, recently. Um, I would give a shout out to our buddy Dan Mack up in New Hampshire. Uh, he he's got a really cool uh, a record club, uh, New Hampshire Vintage. And I highly recommend it to anybody. Um, 
great guy. He really knows knows what you like. You know, you just let him know what you listen to, and he just he he's got a knack for it. You know, sends you what you want. But um, as far as bootlegs, man, he recently sent me a uh, an old uh, Black Crows bootleg from from uh, like around 90, 93, 94. Um, you know, just killer raw Black Crows. You know, just good stuff. Straight up, straight up rock and roll. Right on, and that 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 goes huge with Jeremy and I. He's he's seen the Crows over a hundred times. I've seen him twenty, and Jeremy wow. also is a huge uh, Stones fan. So that uh, that uh, goes uh, really good with us. I wanted to ask you about. You might know a little bit more about this. You know, talk another subject here. Um, we've been hearing about uh, the Facebook wants to limit uh, streaming. Do you do you have any more of a in-depth knowledge of that i don't really know i've heard a couple different things of what might happen or yeah i think right now i don't think anybody really knows what's going on with it um you know fortunately there's going to be other avenues to pursue um so i i really as far as facebook specifically i i really don't know uh I don't think we're going to worry too much about it because there are there are other outlets and avenues that we can we can go to um Unfortunately, I, I mean, I, I, obviously with Facebook, I, I think it's more of a money thing. I think the guy that uh, that runs it's probably just uh, upset that there's revenue stream coming into bands and he's not getting a piece of it. Um, that's just my opinion, you know. Um, I guess being a billionaire is not quite good enough, uh, and and we've got to get in on the money from from bands that are trying to make make a make a living through it. Um, it's unfortunate, you know. I think guy could be be a hero if you let people continue to do it and make their money um but again i think it's just a matter of uh there's money coming in and and uh the powers that be aren't getting a piece of it so it becomes it becomes an issue uh so you know we're not going to worry too much about it we know there'll be other uh there'll be other options so we'll just we'll just go from there yeah and it just seems like they're uh, you know it's obviously for us it's hard to fathom like a billionaire wanting, wanting more, wanting our pocket change, you know, or, or our dollars, yeah. you know, it, it, uh, social media, the double-edged sword there, where it's such a great promotional tube, but then, you know, they want to take money away from you guys. And it's almost like, seems like he's a little bit cocky thinking, well, no one else will ever, you know, create something else where people can go. And maybe he's, uh, maybe they're a little bit more cocky than they need to be with that. So I think so. I really do. I think it's just all about greed, you know, unfortunately. Right on. So uh, why don't you do a little intro into our guests? Okay. Uh, we're going we're gonna to welcome to the show now my band, my boys, uh, Magnolia Bayou, Andrew Fulton, Dylan Palmero, Josh Estes, and Cedric Fizzell. There's much to see when you're this down free, but you sound a tease. All right, we are back with the band Magnolia Bayou. We've got uh, Drew Fulton here, Dylan Palmero, Cedric Fizzell, and Josh Estes. And you guys are coming out with a new record in a few days called strange place uh, i don't know who wants to start i'd love to hear everything about like just when it was just a germ of an idea into each uh step until you started writing and recording and 
So whoever wants to jump in there and start out, uh, let's hear about the, the birth and the creation of strange place. A lot of the, um, a lot of the, uh, well, pretty much the initial, the initial writing for strange place began before Cedric was in the band close to two and a half years ago. The first two songs being sugar spell and robber. And those were written at rehearsal, just through jam sessions. Um, a lot of those, uh, quite a few of the songs were written at home on an acoustic guitar. And then when Cedric came into the band, we took previous songs. We rewrote some songs together with Cedric in the band. Took some previous songs that had been written with our last drummer. And uh, we went to, this is probably about, probably about a year and a half ago now, we went to my aunt's house in Jackson. She's got this... Uh, big three-story house on this big plot of like 40 acres in Jackson and uh, with like 20 foot, you know, uh, like the ceiling to the floor is like 20 feet. It's a big open house. Kind of gives you that when the levee breaks drums down and we sat up in there and rehearsed and solidified all the writing for about three days before going. This was probably in February and then we took it to Natchez in May. So it's, it's been about a two to two and a half year process. How does the writing process, you know, work for you guys? Um, is is any certain place? Do you have to sit down and write? Does an idea come into your head? Is it during rehearsal? Is it just kind of random? How how does that? Is there any set way that 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 works for you guys? No, I mean it's different every time. Um, sometimes we'll just be in the rehearsal space practicing something else, and then out of it will come a jam. We'll jam it, we'll organize it, give it a structure, then I'll take it home, listen to it. I'll either, I mean, at any given time, I've got probably 20 different lyric ideas on my phone because I'm personally always writing down uh, quotes or I'm drawing inspiration from conversations around me, landscape, scenery, from art, uh, from film. So I'm always working on lyrics. Um, oftentimes the lyrics come from a very personal place. I mean, since I am the lyricist, but I always try to, um, make them very vague so that they are relatable or so that they can be interpreted, uh, depending on who the listener is. So at any given time, I've got 20 different lyric ideas on my phone. Uh, sometimes, um, the song will start at home just on the acoustic guitar and I'll have a structure and lyrics, and then I'll bring it to the band. And then once the band sinks their teeth into it, it changes depending on the way Dylan plays the guitar riff or the way Dylan writes, uh, Josh writes his bass part. Um, a lot of the times, the song really will take shape by the way Cedric arranges the drums. So it's different every time, man. But we always have ideas in the pot, whether I bring an entire song to the table, whether we write the whole song together, or whether, you know, we piece it together at rehearsal, you know. You know, I certainly appreciate what you say about, you know, keeping the, you know, meaning of the song vague, because I think it's like whatever it means to the listener, that's what it's about. And, you know, you guys are Alice in Chains fans, and it reminds me of they did that, uh, the Nona tapes, that little 25-minute little home video they did. And Lane's saying, like, you know, the songs were about things we were thinking about at the time, but, Whatever you think it's about, that's what it's about. Exactly. It seems like you guys got that same viewpoint, which I Well, you got to, man. Especially if you're writing from a very personal place, it's a fine line between connecting with people and then just outright depressing them with some of your subject material. And so you want it to be vague so that they can interpret it however they want to. 
Because a lot of times lyrics in rock and roll, you know, maybe not 70s, 80s rock and roll so much, but especially like that 90s rock and roll, that was when the subject material moved from, you know, partying all night long and um, and sex to things that were very real. You know, you think about Nirvana's subject material and Alice in Chains' subject material, it all changed completely, and it was about life. And so you have to be vague with those lyrics because everyone's life is completely different, and you want to reach out to everyone that you can. Right on. Uh, Dylan, how's the guitar parts? How does that work for you similar, or where inspiration comes at any random time, or do you have to consciously sit down and say, I'm going to try to write something? Well, uh, a little bit of both. Um, sometimes you'll be sitting around with like your chord books and stuff, uh, trying to do your homework and keep keep your brain working for um, the musicality part of it. And you'll run across a really cool sounding chord, and that leads to something else. You want to kind of take yourself on a journey that the listener will eventually take as well. And, you know, sometimes it's a really cool riff that you find uh, listening to Audio Slave or something like that, and it sparks something in you to try and write a song like that. Sometimes your brain's just like, hey, this is a cool melody. Try and sit down and, and get it out. And it's just it's just about getting what's out of your head into into the world, you know. Right on. I'd like to hear from the rhythm section um, how uh, you contribute to the songs, how, you know, what, uh, you know, I'll talk to Josh first. Like, what do you just uh, do your parts on top of what they present to you or what what do you bring to it that might change or shape or mold the song? Um, so whenever we're writing a song, I like to listen to what Cedric's doing and really try to get in the pocket of him while also trying to, you know, include some of the parts that, you know, the rhythm's doing or the, the lead's doing in the song. But I mainly stick with Cedric on, you know, what that snare's doing, what that kick's doing. So, Cedric, you're the newest guy in the band. Are they still thinking of you as a new guy or is, uh, those days are past? Those days are past, yeah. my brother. <laughs> you know, I just try to approach it from a feel and emotional standpoint, and, you know, just try to make that song gel, you know. You know, I certainly appreciate, you know, when I you guys put out Tupelo, and I listen to that with the headphones or listen to it in the car, just like right up front, you know. Like you can really tell, seemingly with Byrne being a drummer, like the drums and the bass are just like, I can feel like the kick drum in my stomach. And it's like, yeah, oh, yeah. so yeah. awesome. And everything else is mixed. Well, it doesn't overpower everything else, but it's just really very strong. I, I just, I love the sound. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's all about the creating space between the instruments. And we try to, we try to um, attack that well before we even go into the studio. You know, early on when we were writing songs or when we were jamming, it was like, we were all just playing over each other. And then as you mature and you learn from the other artists that you listen to, you learn to um, make space for everyone around you, you know, so that everything can connect and everything can have a voice. That's the most important thing. And Byrne always called that grown man shit in the yep. studio. <laughs> That's that grown man shit, man. Don't he's like simplify it. It's too complicated. Simplify it. That's that 30 year mortgage shit, my man. <laughs> <laughs> 
And and is that like what I, I think I asked Drew this when he was on before, like what, what's the difference in, you know, difference in producers from the first record to working with Byrne and different studios as well. I mean, is it, was the, that process in the studio that much different or similar or? Well, I mean, Byrne's just, Byrne has just got a lot of, uh, he's got a lot of energy. He's a very energetic producer and, He's just got a lot of great creative energy. You know, he's on the go and uh, Justin's very relaxed, you know. So there's 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 that difference in energy. But also, like I said, I think the biggest thing this time around, obviously, Byrne had a lot of great ideas, ideas that are different from the way Justin would do things. And Byrne's ideas are what translated. But I think a lot of the difference, I told you this in the last interview, was the fact that we were more comfortable as musicians. We knew what we wanted to do going in. And we just went in there and laid it down. And we also had access to the studio for like two weeks. I mean, yeah. We basically got to live in the studio. We didn't have the option to do that the first time of the, the first time around. We, we'd play, you know, four months of shows, save up money for a session. We'd go in, we'd record two songs, and then we'd wait another four months. And so we did this over, you know, the span of a year. Whereas this time... You know, Byrne made sure we were comfortable and he made sure there was food in the studio. He made sure that the local bar took care of us. The city took care of us. And we had a place to crash for basically two weeks and just, you know, work all night long. And there was no time clock. And when there's no time clock, you don't have that pressure, which pressure can be a good thing. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great moments in the first album specifically that came from pressure. Yeah. But there's also a lot of great things that come out of just being relaxed and knowing that, you know, if it's two o'clock in the morning and I have a great idea and I feel like going in there and laying it down now, I can do that. Yep. Or that I don't necessarily have to nail this take today. I can come back to it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So. Cedric, what was it like for you working with a producer that's a drummer? Well, he definitely could relate to, you know, the things that I'm trying to do. He focused on a lot of things that I was doing, particularly, like they said, you know, some parts simplify it up and just really make it come to life when you start putting it down on tracks and you go back and listen to it and you just realize, like, you know, maybe I could do this a little bit better, just lay back a little bit. And, you know, he really just helped me hone in on just kind of finalizing what's going to make that song pop. I would think it had to be a pretty easy job for him because you're such a spectacular drummer. Oh, yeah. He, you know, I mean, it's just like, just do what you do, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's all emotion, man. It's just emotion and feel and just passion, man. That's where I really come from with my playing. So that's it. So it, can you talk about the pre-production uh, thing? Uh, how do you do that? Like everything's rehearsed before you go in? Or are there things that are like, was everything completely written and rehearsed before you go in there? Were there things that came up while you're in there? But I'm just kind of really fascinated, interested in that part. Like, you know, whatever pre-production or rehearsal goes into this before you get in the studio. Well, I think, I think this go around, it was pretty much like Drew said, we recorded demos at his aunt's place. And that was something that we listened to for, uh, you know, three, three, four months before we went into the studio and we had sent some stuff to burn. Granted, it was a, a cell phone, you know, just iPhone voice memo stuff, but it kind of uh, 
instilled the the energy that we were going to record and we knew what we were going to do before we even went into the studio and and from that point we just kind of uh trimmed the fat you know there were certain sections that you know didn't make the album because we can do it live but this is a rock and roll record and we wanted to keep it raw and authentic and just in your face you know just to add on to that i think the only thing that the only song that we technically went in there and wrote, I guess you can say, is Sweet Magnolia. We were looking for that last track, and you know, Drew had that idea sitting around. And we were like, yeah, let's try it out. And uh, we ended up writing the song on the spot. I think that day, I think, was one of the last days that we recorded. So, um, which that song ended up being pretty cool. But uh, like you said, you know. It was really going there, trimming the fat at that point. We had everything down. It's just kind of finalizing certain parts and getting it the way we want it. Got a dog running around. <laughs> hey, I love the Nat sound from dogs, man. I love dogs. My dogs at, at grandma and grandpa's right now are yeah. be like over my shoulder. She got in on one uh, episode. Um, so when you guys are in the studio, is it are these like live takes or things, live takes? The only thing that's not live is the vocal, um, but everything, the, the band is live, yeah, 100%. Most of those takes are fluid takes, somewhere around the three to four mark, okay. like three, the third or fourth take, 100% um, live, yeah. And the same, no, this particular record, uh, Josh, Dylan, and Cedric were probably about six feet apart. Yeah. <laughs> So it's it's 100% a live rock and roll record. A lot of bleed between like we had a we had a Marshall for me in there, and I know that definitely hit the drum mic and stuff like that. So you know if you screw up there, it's oh well, <laughs> it is what of, it is. <laughs> a lot of room mics. I think the how many mics did the drum kit have on it? Oh geez, like. 60 of them. Like you said earlier, with Byron being a drummer, they, they, yeah, they had me mic'd up in every position, every drum. <laughs> he caught pretty much any sound from any angle that came off that drum kit. So, yeah, it was it was a fun project. It was the first time I did something like that in the studio. So, but um, yeah, it's all live, man. That's the way we like to do it. You know, like when the four songs that you've released, like I could really see the diversity and the growth from the first record. I mean, all four of these songs are, you know, d different sounding, you know, different, different kind of genre, but still you guys. I mean, just the difference between Tupelo and Thieves. Oh, yeah. Is, you know, like Thieves has got a funky kind of thing going on with it, you know, and then Sweet Magnolia is beautiful and. And then uh, preaching blues is just badass. Like I yeah. keep calling it the, yeah, it's the swamp stomp. You know, I mean, yeah. so like I, my hands off, hats off to you guys for just the growth and and the diversity in the songs. But it's still you guys. You know, you guys sound like you in each separate of those you know different styles. Yes, sir. And that's why that's why we did that. You know, because traditionally we're a very heavy band. Um, and we decided there's six songs that are left to be released and they're pretty heavy. <laughs> so the goal with the single campaign was to, uh, 
try to grow our demographic as much as we could try to grow our audience. And so we did that by putting out four completely different styles of songs so that we could grow our audience as much as possible before we actually put the album out and to showcase that, you know, Magnolia Bayou, we don't, we don't, uh, try to put ourselves in a corner stylistically. We're always just playing. We all listen to so much stuff and, we just play whatever comes out of us. You know, it's like, this is a country song, which we're not really a country band, but it sounds cool. So, oh, well, we'll play it. You know, mm-hmm. and we got stuff like that. We have a lot of stuff like that that people haven't even heard yet. Mm-hmm. It's just whatever sounds good to us. And so that's what we were trying to showcase with the uh, single campaign. And you, like we were talking earlier, you don't really want to like divulge what the songs are about because it might ruin it for the listener. But you did actually leave your boots in Tupelo, correct? I, well, technically, Pontotoc, Mississippi. It's hard to write Pontotoc with something. It's hard to fit that in the line. It doesn't really, yeah, it doesn't really flow off the tongue. Right, right. Hey, close enough. Yeah, one too many whiskeys, Pontotoc turns into something completely different. <laughs> well, I, I don't think I could say it after a couple whiskeys. I don't think so either. <laughs> um, so, obviously, part of the thing about this podcast is to really celebrate you know, what I see is not from being the, I'm not from the South, obviously I'm in North Dakota. So from the outside looking in, it seems like, you know, like I said, this podcast is about a celebrating like all this great music is, was born in the South, you know, blues and the Delta and, you know, Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis and Muddy Waters and all these, you know, it all comes from down there. But at the same time, you know, we always quote Greg Allman who once said Southern rock is just rock rock. But it just seems like, you know, as far back as I know, like I always mentioned Blackberry Smoke, Blackberry Smoke as being, you know, they've been around 20 years or whatever. So maybe they they kind of seem to be leading this thing. But it, there's all these bands like you guys and, you know, when Bishop Gunn was still going and, you know, like Jive Mother Mary and Them Dirty Roses and you know uh whiskey myers like all these bands from down there it's it's just fantastic for me to like see that so it do you call that a movement or is just just rock and roll bands just coincidentally all playing rock and roll as it sounds as them playing it i think these guys are just you know playing just good organic music you know nothing synthetic about it and i mean that's no disrespect to a lot of bands that are out currently like in the mainstream but i guess you can call it a movement but you know all these bands got their own unique distinct sounds but you can tell you know it's just it all has that southern flavor that still kind of brings it together you know it's just true uh music from the heart you know the energy and the feel from the 60s and 70s is kind of coming back like you had the 60s and 70s and then you had an era where it kind of turned into uh, synthesized stuff, which don't get me wrong, there's a lot of stuff in the 80s that I do dig, but, you know, people wanted real music again, uh, real authentic music again. So that's what happened in the 90s and into early 2000s. Then it kind of dropped off again, in my opinion. And then I think now around 2020, people are looking for that that old school feel and that old school uh, feel-good music, I guess. I think it's a movement. Yes. I think it's a movement. I think you got a. I don't. I don't know that it's intentional. I think you just got a bunch of southern boys that 
are ready to put the you know the southern half of the United States on the map. You know, yeah. you got all these southern boys that have grown up and they're just tired of what's popular. I mean, I like what's popular. You know, I I, I flip on the radio all the time just to stay current. You know, I don't always love it, but I like some of it, and mm-hmm. it's good to stay current and know what everyone's listening to. But you know, I think for the most part, a lot of us are tired of what's been popular and we're just ready to show the world what we do down here. Yep. Mm-hmm. And like I told you in the last interview, I don't think it's like we're going to be Southern rock. I just think we're a bunch of Southern boys that grew up listening to country and blues. And that's just what comes out of us. Mm-hmm. You know? A lot of ACDC on the radio and a lot of um, just a lot of feel good music, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, it uh, like if I try to think in the last, you know, since 90, I think like since Foo Fighters came out, I, I, there were a few bands here and there that, you know, Velvet Revolver did a couple records, Jet, there was a band Silver Tide. Yep. And then it's it just this kind of like, like where are the rock bands? And all of a sudden, like, like I said, I got into Blackberry Smoke and then that led, leads me to this and leads me to that, you know, it leads me to you guys. And it's uh, like I said, once again, from the outside looking in, it seems like it's almost like, your guys' music, all these bands on there, it's like almost like a responsibility, so to yeah. speak, to, to to bring that tradition back or strengthen it or carry it forward. It's not just, hey, man, let's, you know, see how many T-shirts we can sell or, you know, how many chicks dig us. You know, I know that's probably part of it, too, at some point when guys are younger. But, I mean, it really is about the, it's like it's you are the music and the music is you. I just yeah. I just see it as being just deeper down there and more meaningful and just natural. If that's an accurate take, you tell me. <laughs> I agree, man. There's just something, there's just something about the the southern uh, soil that that brings some of this stuff out of us. You know, it's like it's like down home cooking. You know, it's just we just put so much time and energy into it. And I, I think you know if you do that starting out, then then you'll you'll reap what you sow. I think too, when we started out, we were young. And so I think a lot of the older crowd didn't take us very seriously. I mean, they were, there, was a, there was a big group of people that loved the fact that we were young, but on the music scene, you know, that age was a big factor. And so I think a lot of it is just was really just us trying to prove that, you know, we're who we want to be. You know, we, we got a lot of no's in the beginning. And so we had determination from the, to start, from the start to get as good as our, at our craft as we could and to become great songwriters and to make something of ourselves. And I think that we still carry that determination today. It's very frustrating in the beginning to start out. And I think just, uh, Dylan was 17 at the time. Josh was 17. I was 20. You know, we were new. And a lot of the people on the local music scene were in their late 20s and in their 30s. And a lot of the venues had a lot of these bands in their pockets and, and well-established relationships. So we definitely had to forward to trail and make a name for ourselves and we were really determined so also you know i want to compliment you guys on staying down in golf party i mean once again i keep saying from the outside looking in i mean it seems like everybody goes to nashville was there any anybody like trying to like ever coerce you guys you guys got to nashville or is it just not even never been a thought i mean i we love try to get to Nashville as much as possible because, I mean, we love our city, but, you know, Gulfport isn't, you know, something that just shines brightly on the map that says, <laughs> come here, you know, as far as music is concerned. Tourism, but, of course, um, but that's about it. 
but music wise, yeah, I mean, uh, I, don't, I can't speak with you guys in the past. I'm sure like a lot of musical acts, you know, love going to Nashville and just try to make a name for yourself up there. It's like New York, you know, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, you know. I mean, we have been to Nashville quite a few times and we, we do really well up there, but I don't think there's anything like pulling us up there as far as uh, people or studios quite yet. I mean, of course, there's like RCA studios and, um, you know, there's tons of studios that we could uh, conceivably go to and do really well at. But, you know, they they got to really want us first. And um, like like down here, I mean, we have New Orleans, we have Mobile. Um, Natchez is, is three and a half hours away from us. We're in a good little spot to where we can go and travel uh, east and west, and we have access to some some pretty good stuff. Um, and then when we need to go to Nashville, it's it's seven hours away, so it's not it's not too big of a deal to get in the van and and go up there. So it just kind of depends. I mean, we all do this just the four of us and and my dad and you know our team our team is is mighty, but it's it's a smaller team, so. There's nothing. There's nothing that's calling us to Nashville immediately, though. But I mean, we definitely talked about it. We've talked about moving to Huntsville or Nashville or somewhere. But you know, as a band, we're an independent band. We don't have a record label. We don't have any financial backing. And so, our financial backing has been our family and you know touring. Our, and we have a huge support system down here. And so we kind of realized early on. You know, we're not known. I mean, we have a national and international audience, but if we just move and unplug ourselves from that support system, you almost kind of have to start from scratch. And so it was like, we're already touring. There's no reason to go uproot everything and move to Nashville or Huntsville. We have a base down here. We're already touring all over. Our audience is growing. So let's stay here where we have roots, you know, where people can, our family is here, and our, our family has always been super supportive, so families. And that's that's really awesome. I have so much respect for that, you know, like keeping a DIY. You know, I, I have we haven't had anyone on the cast yet from Nashville, but I think things I've heard, like there's a lot of corporate entity up there that you got to fight, and, you know, you know, these guys and suits and size trying to tell bands how to be bands and trying to change them and whatnot, you know, so I'm just – that's why I'm always like wondering like what it's like for the people that are based up there. They almost have to have a lot behind them to be able to, you know, stand up through that whole corporate kind of, kind of thing, you know, um, yeah. you guys mentioned Huntsville. It's like I'm interested in going in the vacation there and, and wondering what it's like there as a, as a town, as a, a music scene or, you know, what, it, what's that like there? Tell me about Huntsville. It's it's a nice little town, and then uh, if you're going up there for vacation, go to Gunnersville. It's like 45 minutes away. It's a real nice lake. But uh, Huntsville, I mean, it's it's nice, nice music scene. Birmingham is a, also really nice music scene down here. It's like one of the best down here right now. So right on. We like to go um, up to Huntsville a couple times a year and and play there and and hit Birmingham on the way, and, and Josh has uh, some relatives up in Gunnersville, so we'll go try to 
hit Birmingham and Huntsville and then go hang out at Gunnersville and, and stay on the lake and party for a couple of days and in between shows and stuff like that. And it's, it's always a great time. Always good to get on the lake. And mentioning Huntsville again, a throttle fest is coming up at Huntsville, correct? October 3rd. Yes, sir. Have you guys played that before? Or is this, how long have they been doing that? I think, I think this is a new, yeah, this is new. Very this, new. This is the inaugural throttle fest. Yep. That's awesome. That's awesome. Got a um, bunch, of, bunch of good friends, uh, them Dirty Roses, us, uh, our brother Ben Lewis, Job Mother Mary, Taylor Honeycutt, and Christy Lovely, Love Lady, I think. I, <laughs> forgive me if I'm saying it wrong and you're out there listening. I apologize. <laughs> but I got talk to your talk to your dad, and you know I'm gonna. I'm hoping to cover that in some way, shape, or form without yeah. being there. You know, I don't know what's possible or not. Um, I also want to talk about, you know, the 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 fan page and talk about uh, Dee Dee and the job that she does, and uh, just talk about, you know, what that does for you and what you think about that. Well, you know, at any given time, we have a lot on our shoulder shoulders trying to. Uh, juggle rehearsing working day jobs juggle the content that's got to be on our regular facebook page our regular instagram there's a lot to go you know the merchandise and and the the graphics you know constantly correlating with pr and our producer and our graphic designer or whoever and so it's nice to have a core group of fans who are very passionate about the band and each individual member that can go in there and kind of manage the fan base and be the one to get, you know, the ones to get them excited uh, because, you know, we just can't, we can't do it all, all on our own at this point. And so that's where people like Dee Dee and Linda and Abby and Autumn come into place. Yeah. I just, that's, I was trying to remember everyone in that. And then Abby certainly seems very enthusiastic about things and I totally appreciate you know, her being, you know, being in contact with her and her being part of this. It's, that's, it just kind of feed off her enthusiasm. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. They're all fantastic and music lovers. And, um, they just, they have so much passion for, for us and, and, you know, they're just great people. And Abby, Abby, Linda and Dee Dee are some of the sweetest people we know. And we just, we yeah. love them. We're so grateful for that. I mean, it's obvious that we're going to be excited about what we do. You know, we're always, this is our art, this is our life. So we're excited, but you know, sometimes it's not enough for the band to always be excited. Sometimes, you know, there's, there's people out there maybe that you haven't, they haven't put their foot in the water yet, or they're not, they haven't quite attached on that. They've been following the band and see what the band's doing. But sometimes it's seeing how excited other fans get that wins people over like, okay, maybe, maybe I should be paying attention here. I got, I got all these people on my timeline that are very excited about this band and their music and people like Abby and Linda and, and Dee Dee that go on Facebook and they showcase how much they love and support the band. That really helps get attention of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And that's so, an important part of our fan base. So who in your contemporaries, you know, the bands that we've mentioned, you know, like, any people that you're particularly closer to or have more camaraderie with, or is everybody pretty much supportive of each other? You go to see shows when these other bands are playing. Um, 
just talk about that. Like just your, your contemporary friends who you respect that are playing your same kind of style. All these Southern boys, as Drew yeah. says. I, well, I think around here uh, we've got really good buddies in Mobile. Um, of course, the Red Clay Strays are dear friends of ours. Uh, buddy John Cochran um, over there. There's there's a huge scene in Mobile that's great. Uh, we've got buddies in Hattiesburg, Royal Horses. They're great. Um, Jive Mother Mary. We haven't connected with them. We haven't ever seen them in person, but we've kind of seen each other and support each other from afar. And it's always just a, a camaraderie type of thing. It's it's always man that that's a fantastic interview, man. Big big ups to you guys. Um, them dirty roses, our buddy Ben Lewis. We anytime we can, we try to do some uh, collaborations if if it's possible in the set. I know when we played Huntsville back in June, we did two acoustic evenings um, at Sidetracks, and Ben came up and and opened up for us, and we did. Uh, some Allison Chain stuff we did down in a hole in nutshell with him and uh, just a lot of fun man you know it, it's great seeing musicians around here supporting each other and you know the whole southeast is 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 on the uprise and you know we're all just trying to help each other out and support each other w- the way we can also Georgia Thunderbolts too they're they're great right on. yeah really good friends really good yeah. friends so far you know you the internet's a cool place sometimes yeah. Tennessee Champagne. We yeah. uh, talked to Chris Kelly before. Um, right. But I talked to Drew before we did, covered, talked slightly about you guys feel like you're now kind of being the main flag carriers for Mississippi. You know, when the, when the wind blew the Bishop gun guys in different directions, now you guys feel like, you know, the most responsibility to uh, represent Mississippi. What's What's that like? I mean, we saw how it affected, like I, like I told you last time, we saw that it, it deeply affected their fans on a personal level. You know, you realize when a band, dis, when they break up, you realize how that affects people. You know, people need that music. People need that escape. And that really hurt a lot of people. And we felt that. I mean, we looked up to those guys. You know, they did a lot for us. And when you... You know, seeing how that affected everyone, it definitely felt like there was a, it wasn't as, it wasn't an exciting feeling, you know, now all of a sudden you have this thousand pound weight on your shoulders. It's up to you to keep this message and this movement alive. And when I say movement, I'm talking about putting Mississippi back on the map for positive things, you know, for art and music and, you know, uh, community that is established through art and music. So, and I don't think it was a responsibility we wanted to necessarily take on uh, head on like that. But, you know, when, when the torchbearers are, are kind of uh, no longer, I guess, you know, somebody's got to do it. So if, if, if anybody's going to do it, I think we, we would take that on, you know. The one thing that I can, that I, that I thought of about those guys is that, that comes out of that is that like there's so much individual talent. I mean, you guys working with Burn as a producer, you know, I'm listening to uh, to Ben's record and I'm just like, how amazing is that? You know, and 
Travis said he'll be on. You know, I kind of heard a little bit of his stuff. I'm assuming Drew is a pretty private guy. He's got a kid on the way and all that. So um, as far as us in Mississippi, you know, but now what about the North Mississippi All-Stars and Lightning and Malcolm? I mean, do you guys uh, have any uh, camaraderie with the, those guys at all or any of the other Blues players, people in Delta and – well, uh, I actually got to meet Luther uh, down here in Gulfport. They played a festival called Chillin' on the Gulf Coast. And um, he was he was walking off stage, and I was like, hey, man, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Dylan from, from Magnolia Bay. We played over there. It was an A and B stage. And if you wanted to see the A guys, you would just look straight on. And then once the A guys got done, the B stage would start. And all you had to do was turn your lawn chair around and it was pretty cool. So, so Bishop Gunn played and then we played on the B stage and then North Mississippi All-Stars played. So we ran over there to go check those guys out. And uh, Luther was like, Hey man, you want to help me load my van? And I was like, well, <laughs> I don't necessarily want to, but you know, I'll, I'll help Luther Dickinson load his van, you know, <laughs> right on, right so on. We got, to, we got to chat with him. And um, so that was cool. We haven't necessarily uh, got to, collaborate or, or hang out and, and drink with those guys quite yet. But uh, we've, we've always admired those guys. We play their version of snake drive on occasion. Uh, it's been a while, um, but there's, there's a lot of stuff that they did early on that, that we look up to. And those were kind of the torch bearers of the nineties and early two thousands that, that just kind of set it, set Mississippi on the map for Delta blues and stuff like that, which is fantastic. When we make a big splash and get their attention, we sure would love to collaborate. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's, you know, just with you guys and when Bishop Gunn was still playing in North Mississippi, North Mississippi All-Stars all in the same festival. That like yeah. sounds like heaven to me. Oh, man, it was, it was great. It and was awesome. That was intentional, too. I think they did that on purpose so that it was like three Mississippi bands back to back. We called it yeah. Mississippi. Right nice Mississippi trio, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Mississippi taking over. Yeah. So Dylan, your dad was telling me that you got a tour of Muscle Shoals from David Hood. Yes, yes, we did. We we played in Florence about two two and a half years ago now, I think. And um and we met David Hood backstage. We were actually opening up for Bishop Gunn, and that was around the time that Shine had come out and they were making a big deal about about the forty five for that. And David Hood was actually backstage, and uh, I was like, "Holy shit, this is David Hood from the Swampers!" You know, this is this is so rad. And uh, I was like, "Hey, man, can we get a picture?" And we started talking, all kinds of stuff. And he had a he had a few pretty cool stories to tell about Dwayne, who's one of my idols, and um, talking about like fishing with Dwayne and stuff like that, and being being late for sessions because. You know, Dwayne would be smoking a joint on the way or whatever, and you know, <laughs> pitching a tent outside of, of the shoals to to get some to get some gigs and stuff like that. And it was just, it was awesome, man. It was one of the coolest experiences. Right on. So, what's it like working with your dad as a manager? Well, <laughs> when he brings home work, you know, <laughs> sometimes it, uh, I catch hell. You know, if if there's something that these guys uh maybe slacking on i hear it 
twice, three times over. <laughs> so there's that. But, but he mainly just hears about how he smacks. Yeah. That's all he <laughs> I love there though. So I'm I'm grateful. I'm grateful he's doing it, not some uh, some sleazy guy, you know. <laughs> With a sleaze ball that doesn't actually care about with us. With a Miami yeah. ice jacket telling us what to do. <laughs> you know. Right. Um, who else, like, uh, like if you want to say classic rocker musicians that have been around since the 60s or 70s, do you really admire, like, way up there? You've mentioned Dwayne and I'm assuming the Allman Brothers. Who, who else would be someone that's been around that long, if we want to say, like, you know, classic rock star or classic classic rock guys. Well, for for sure, absolutely, the Almond Brothers. They they kind of take the, the for me. I've actually got a Almond Brothers sticker on on my guitar and kind of you know look at it during the show if I'm not inspired, so to speak, you know. And um, Leonard Skinner and guys like that. And last May we actually got to open up for uh, the legendary Wet Willie, so we got to meet Jimmy Hall and talk with those cats and he was wearing this really really cool uh shark shirt uh shark button down shirt that his his wife had bought him and stuff and we were just we we're just talking all kinds of stuff and um just really really cool guys you know there seems to be some uh like uh cryptic messaging about um or clues being put out uh, that they're gonna jimmy hall is gonna open for blackberry smoke on some of those shows they're gonna do yeah, that's, yeah. that's people's guess the Capricorn stuff, the Capricorn revival, that'd be really cool. I would, I would venture to say that 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 could be true. So, what like besides Throttle Fest, is there anything else? Uh, any of the social distancing shows that you guys might be doing, or anything like that coming up? Planning on Halloween night, October thirty first, in front of Longwood Mansion in Natchez, Mississippi. It's for uh, it's a festival they do every year called Longwood Afternoon, and uh, Longwood's like an uh, antebellum home, pre-Civil War, and it's like three stories, and the top of it is a dome, and they stopped building it. I think the Civil War started before they could finish building it, so you can like look into the dome, and it's probably like two stories of just it's like circular, and they just quit. It's just the wood. They they never finished building it. And I'm pretty sure that place is haunted. Um, <laughs> it's pretty creepy, yeah. but it's a beautiful place. And it's, yeah. it's they set the stage up right in front of the mansion, and there's all kinds of moss that hangs over the stage. It's a beautiful plot of land, so we're excited to be there. It's gonna kind of, I guess we're gonna kind of treat it as our album release for Natchez. Mm-hmm. The city hosted us while we recorded. Yep. Yeah. I've been there, and it's been about a year. It's been a long time since we've been there, so we're pretty excited about that. And that's really, other than Throttle Fest and the uh, live stream, that's yeah. all we've announced. I think yeah, there's I things on the books, but it's not announced yet. <laughs> yeah, Talk about more specifically the live stream, which I'm really looking forward to. We, uh, we are going to be playing our album in its entirety, and we will have a second set full of fan favorites from the first record, a couple covers, uh, things that we really enjoy playing and, and hope that everybody will enjoy hearing. And it'll be a really cool, um, interactive crowd. Um, of course, you know, you're not going to be able to be there, but we'll be playing to screens and we actually have a, 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 a big 
projection screen, which we'll be able to see everybody. It's through Zoom. So if you know if you want to have your your webcam on and and dance around and stuff like that, and you know cheers to the band and stuff like that, we'll actually be able to hear everybody. And it, I, I guess it'll be like the next best thing uh, till Throttle Fest. Um, and you know playing the screens is <laughs> is quite weird, but you know it's 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 what you got to do right now, I guess. Right on. Well, I really really look forward to that and. You know, I really thank you guys for the music you put out, and I'm, you know, very, very grateful that you've uh, included me in on this promotion. And it, I just, uh, I'm not going to get sappy, but I've never had this kind of experience of being this kind of close to a band and being there in the beginning. And that, that just, that means a lot to me. It really does, you know. So I just want to thank you guys for being here, and want to thank everyone, you know. Thanks to Kevin Palmero managing the band. You got Dylan Palmero, Cedric Fazell, Drew Fulton, Josh Estes, and Magnolia Bayou. I want to thank Dee Dee Howard and Abby Comer and everyone on the fan Facebook page. Um, we're gonna wrap this up and we're gonna we're gonna close this out with preaching blues. So always remember, Southern Rock is reverent and blues is blood. We'll see you next time. Ladies and gentlemen of the congregation, I beg of you to open your hearts and minds this morning and listen to the words of the sermon I've prepared for you. Everyone, it is time for you to get right with God.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 